And tonight the, the study is entitled, Be Imitators of God. Now, the word imitator is not a positive word in many situations, in many cases. In fact, the synonyms for imitator, I looked them up, are impersonator and copycat. That's not something that's really positive, uh, if you think about it. In fact, I looked up the dictionary definition of imitator, and it means a person who copies the behavior or actions of another. Now, that could be good, that could be bad. Children, I put there on your notes, children imitate their parents. Uh, you've, you've had, and we'll talk about this a little bit, but I'm sure you've had your son or your daughter do some things just like you, right? Especially when they were little. They, they imitated you. They mimicked you. Well, what Paul is going to say to us tonight in this study is this. Because we are children of God, we should imitate Him. We should mimic Him. But, here's the tension that we live with. We live in a fallen world. Would you agree with that? We live in a sin-plagued world. Would you agree with that? We live in a world that, that tries to squeeze us into its mold. And if we're not careful, we can imitate the wrong things. We can mimic the wrong things. In chapter 5, Paul describes the way that we should live our lives because we are God's children. He starts out in verse 1 this way, chapter 5, Ephesians verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Before we get too far into this, you might want to underline dearly loved children. Isn't that a beautiful description of how God views you? I just wanted to remind somebody here tonight, you're a dearly loved child of God. You're one of God's dearly loved children. Now, before we go too far, we need to remember the people to whom Paul was writing. We'll take just a few minutes and push the pause button as far as going through the text. And I want to remind you, the people to whom Paul was writing. This letter was written to the church of Ephesus. Let me remind you about some things about Ephesus. If you've got a Bible, look in the back of your Bible where the maps are. Alright, just look in the back of the Bible. And if you don't have one there, there's probably one in the pew there in front of you. I said, Do these have maps in them? Okay, no maps in those. But hopefully your Bible has one, or you can scoot over and look at somebody. Several of you got your iPads. You can find maps real easy with those. But I want you to find a map of Ephesus, or a map that has Ephesus on it. All right, so you're, you're looking for one of those maps in the back that would show like the journeys, the missionary journeys of Paul, okay? Now, tell me where Ephesus is on that map. Where is Ephesus? What, what, what area is it in? I'm sorry? All right. But on your map, what, does that, what is that area called, that, that geographical area? Did somebody say Asia? Yeah, Asia, Southern Asia. Some say Asia Minor. Uh, what, what would that area be known as today? Turkey. Some of you, I, I think you guys have been to Ephesus, haven't you? I remember you guys talking about that, Andy. Uh, anybody else been to Ephesus today? It's still a, a city today, right? All right. Uh, you, can, you can Google Ephesus and, and you can see the ruins of, of Ephesus that are still there to this day. It was an amazing, amazing town that is still in existence. 
in the country we now call Turkey. Paul spent a great deal of time preaching and making disciples in Ephesus. Do you remember how long Paul spent in Ephesus? Three years. He spent three years making disciples in Ephesus. Now, why Ephesus? Or, or why three years in Ephesus? I think that the amount of time that he spent there, which was a long time for Paul. He, he usually wasn't there in, in a city that long. But I think that the fact that he was there so long was indicative of the fact that the fields were widened to harvest. This was a, a vile and wicked place. And if Paul could share the gospel here, if the gospel could take root in Ephesus, amazing things could happen as the gospel would spread. Ephesus was one of the largest and most impressive cities in the ancient world. At the time of Paul, Ephesus was probably the fourth largest city in the world. Scholars estimate, now, now get this in mind, scholars estimate that there were probably 250,000 to 350,000 people living in Ephesus. Now that's a big city in today's time, but that was an enormous city in the time of Paul. It was located on the mouth of the Caister River and it was an important seaport. And the reason that's important is because there was also a, a, a great east-west roadway that went through that, that area. So Ephesus was a place where lots of people passed through and lots of them decided to stay and to live there. The traffic that went through there, people from all over the world traveled to and through Ephesus. And Ephesus was famous for something. Ephesus was famous for a temple that they had there called the Temple of Diana or the Temple of Artemis. It was a temple uh, that was created by the Romans, a temple dedicated to a Roman goddess. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was four times larger than the Parthenon in Athens. It was an enormous structure sitting on the hilltop in Ephesus. It was a shrine to an idol, a shrine to the repulsively ugly idol of the multi-breasted Artemis. She was considered the mother goddess of the world. The mother goddess of the world. She was considered the goddess who was in charge of fertility. And they built this shrine to her. There were other temples of Artemis, but this was the, the unique one. This was the largest one. This, this was the temple of all temples. And at the temple of Artemis, temple prostitutes worked there. It's hard for us to fathom this, but men came there to offer sacrifices to the idol of Artemis. And as part of their act of worship, they participated in sexual immorality with the temple prostitutes. Artemis or Diana was the chief deity, the chief god of Ephesus. In fact, I just want you to see what, it, what an impact it had. Put your finger in Ephesians. Go over to the left to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 23. This is a record of Paul being in Ephesus. And I just want you to notice how, the God, how prominent the goddess Diana or Artemis is in this city. Acts 19, verse 23. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way, that is about followers of Christ. They were known as the followers of the way. Uh, a silversmith named Demetrius 
who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. You see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. Imagine that. Verse 27. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. That always tickles me. Just the thought, their, their thought process here, that, that this goddess would be robbed of her, her divine majesty. That shows you that they knew she was not real. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were furious, began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus and Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. By the way, the theater, if, if I'm not mistaken, would seat around 24,000 people. It's an, it's an enormous theater that the remnants are still there today. Imagine thousands, thousands a city full of thousands of people being in this theater, maybe 24,000. Imagine hearing 24,000 people shouting, and what were they shouting? They were shouting, Paul, verse, uh, I lost my place. Verse 30, Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. <laughs> you know, there's just something happening over there. Let's go see what it is. Verse 33, the Jews pushed Alexander to the forefront and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about how long? Isn't that amazing? What were they shouting for two hours? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Maybe 24,000 people shouting two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of, of, of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image which fell from heaven? Do you see the prominence? The prominence that this place held in Ephesus. The prominence of Artemis in the city of Ephesus. Do you, are you starting to see the prominence of this, of this cult, this this idol. Let's go back to that verse again. Verse 35, the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world, not just people here, all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which, which fell from heaven. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. By the way, this is not saying that that idol actually fell from heaven but that was what the people thought that this idol fell from heaven verse 36 and 37 you have brought these men here 
though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring it up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Here's what I want you to understand. Diana or Artemis was the chief idol in all of Ephesus and one of the most prominent idols and goddesses in all the pagan world. Now, with that as a background, knowing what happened at that temple, knowing that the, the pagan idolatry, the sexual immorality and promiscuity that happened in the city of Ephesus, with that as a background, I want you to imagine for just a moment that you are a Christian living in Ephesus. Sexual promiscuity is taken for granted. Everybody indulges in it. It's an acceptable lifestyle. Any form or fashion, it's an acceptable lifestyle. There are no boundaries. There are no restrictions. It is an acceptable lifestyle. In fact, it's very possible that many of Paul's converts, men who came to faith in Christ through his ministry, it's very possible that many of Paul's converts had been brought up in that permissive atmosphere. That they had been brought up to believe that it's okay to sleep with any woman. They had been brought up to believe that it was okay and common to have a mistress and to frequent brothels and to gratify your desires at the temple of Artemis and, by the way, still have a wife. They lived in that kind of society. They lived in that atmosphere. They were brought up thinking these things. These practices that we would consider immoral were considered by them to be normal. And Paul led many to faith in Christ. But you see, they've got a past, don't they? They, they were brought up differently. And then not only do they have a past where they were brought up differently, they've got neighbors. And these neighbors live differently. These neighbors go to the temple of Artemis. These, these neighbors are are sleeping around. These neighbors have mistresses and go to brothels. And these neighbors are... Everything is okay in that society. And in that kind of a setting, it's awful easy to see how you could start to mimic the culture you're living in. It's awful easy to see how the standards could start to be lowered. It's awful easy to see in that pagan culture... That things that were once unacceptable and unthinkable, you could find yourself perhaps supporting, maybe being involved in. Ladies and gentlemen, we too live in a very sex-crazed, immoral culture. There's, there's no denying that. Some places are better than others, but it's very obvious that we live in a culture turn on the TV, look on the internet, uh, read the newspapers or magazines. It's so obvious that what was once thought to be unthinkable and immoral has now become accepted and adopted as law. We have to be on our guard that we don't mimic the wrong things.
Just as children imitate their parents, we should be imitators of God. So Paul says, going back to Ephesians chapter 5, with that background, here's what Paul says about making sure that you're on your guard and that you're imitating God instead of the godless society around you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. The word imitators that you see there is the same Greek word that you would use for the word mimic. Now somebody tell me, what does the word mimic mean? What, what does somebody do when they mimic you? I can't hear you. Alright? They repeat they, what they see you do, they, they do what they see you do. Uh, and, and Paul says that that should be our desire because we are dear children of God, because of who we are, we are dear children of God. We have the, the capacity and the obligation to mimic God. I remember when Jonathan uh, was just a little boy. And my dad is in heaven now, but uh, dad used to love to play with Jonathan and, as he did all of his grandkids. And uh, we didn't get to see dad all the time. You know, he lived in Tennessee and we were either in North Carolina or South Carolina, depending on the time. So we'd have to drive to see him two or three hours. And, but whenever Dad would see Jonathan, he'd hold him. He's just this little guy. And, and he'd hold him and Dad would stick his tongue out at him. Yeah, just, play, just all the time playing with him like that. Just sticking his tongue out at him. Jonathan would walk around our house when we'd get back home. He'd walk around our house and we, we had a picture of Dad. And when he saw the picture of Dad, he'd go... <laughs> he was mimicking what he saw. He was imitating what he saw. Somebody, you give me an example. Help me teach this lesson. Give me an example of what your kids did to mimic you. That's right. Absolutely. Somebody else. Can't think of any? Come on. I'll give you one more about Jonathan. I'll quit talking about him. I remember laying in the, laying in the floor watching TV... I had my hands like this, my feet were crossed, and I was laying there watching TV, and he came in, he laid down, sat down beside me, then laid back, put his little hands here and crossed his feet. I was watching TV. He was mimicking what he saw his daddy do. Paul says, that's what you need to do. You need to mimic what you see your Heavenly Father do. Don't mimic those who don't know God. Don't mimic that godless culture you are living in. But make sure you mimic your Heavenly Father. Because of who you are. You are children of God. Uh, I'll give you one more story, then I'm going to move on. This, this, this lady had a, a, a little guy, a little son, and, and he, during the day, let out a few cuss words. And she got real upset, and she sent him upstairs and said, Son, you go to your room till your daddy gets home. So when the dad came home from work, he asked where the boy was, and she said, Well, I sent him to his room. He said, Well, how come? And she said, Well, he said some cuss words today. Well, what did he say? And, and she told him, and he got, he got furious. He said, I'll teach that boy how to cuss. And he went up the steps after that boy, and he tripped, and he tumbled down the steps. When he tumbled down the steps, he let out two or three words. And his, and his wife said, Honey, I think that's enough for the first lesson. 
Where did the boy learn how to cuss? Where do you think he learned how to cuss? He mimicked his daddy. Let's look and see what Paul says. Be imitators, mimic, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I'm not going to talk a lot about uh, living a life of love, but that's the first blank because I preached on it today. But the first blank is this, live a life of love. If you want to mimic God, live a life of love. And he gives us two reasons for this. One, because of who you because of who you are child of God and secondly because of what Christ has done for us verse 2 what has he done for us live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God so Paul says here's the first thing you mimic you need to live a life of love again we've talked a lot about love today so I'm going to move on to point number two point number two is this live like children of light. Now that's not going to mean a whole lot to you yet, but write it down. And we're going to talk about this and really dig in here. Live, how did I phrase that? Live like children of light. In verse 3, Paul gave a number of different words which should not characterize the life of a Christian. Look what Paul says. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. And here's why. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are what? Light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of... Of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That, that is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here's why we're to live like children of light. It is because, ladies and gentlemen, your heavenly Father is a holy God. There is no darkness in Him. There is no sin in Him. There is not a hint of darkness with your heavenly Father. So we are not only to live a life of love, but if we're going to mimic God, He says also, live like children of light. So Paul says, all right, so let me be very, very practical. I love the way Paul is sometimes, Paul can be very doctrinal. He can be very theological. He, he, can, he, can, he can fascinate us with his knowledge and his theology. And then sometimes Paul could be very, very practical where he says, now let me tell you exactly what I was talking about. Let me tell you what you need to work on. And so here he does. 
in verse 3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. So A, under number 2 on your note is, put away immorality. Put away immorality. Paul says there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Now, let's deal with that phrase, a hint of. In today's terminology, if you were, how else could you use that phrase? Besides, besides what we've read here, how else would you use that phrase? A hint of something. A small amount? Give me a sentence though. How would you work it in? Huh? Do not experiment with. How would you... But I'm not asking the question very good. Let's say that you're cooking. Huh? A hint of salt. Yeah. Or you're tasting something and, and it says, is that any good? Yeah, I think I, I think I taste just a hint of oregano. Does it have oregano in it? You know what I'm talking about? I, I, think, I, I think I taste just a hint of whatever. Paul, I'm going to tell you something about your life. Because of who you are, you need to live like children of light. And you are not living like a child of light if there is even a hint of sexual immorality. There needs to be absolute purity. Let, let me, can, I, can I just be bold for a moment? You're not somewhat pure. There has to be absolute purity. You can't just say, well, you know, most of the time. No, there is no most of the time. God has called us to be holy people. And that also applies to sexual relationships. In fact, the word means fornication, sexual immorality, or illicit sexual relationships. To walk in the light because of who you are means that you will control your sexual desires. You'll control the sexual dimension of your life. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. That's the next one on your list. Put away impurity. Another translation. Somebody have a different translation. What does he? What word does he use there? Does he say uncleanness? Maybe in the King James. Uncleanness. Filthiness. Okay. Put away impurity, filthiness. It's immorality in a general sense, such as lust in your heart. Paul says there, there's no place for that in your life. And then the next one he says, put away greed. In verse three. Put away greed. The word greed literally means overreaching. It's a very picturesque word. It means overreaching. Uh, the word describes somebody who has something, but he's not satisfied with it, so he reaches for something else. He already has something. He already has his. He already has his wife. But he's reaching, overreaching, because of his greed, because of his lust, his desires. He's overreaching for something else. He already has what he needs, but, but he's overreaching for someone else. Somebody else. Look what Paul says in verse 3. Because these are improper for God's people. Is that what your Bible says? Did I read that correctly? Do what? Right. 
Now, if he had left out that word holy, would it have made sense? These are improper for God's people. Would that have made sense? But he put the word holy in there for a reason, didn't he? Because if you're going to be God's people, you've got to be holy people. Does this battery sound like it's going out? It sounded a little strange to me. Sounds okay? Okay. All right, let's keep going then. Put away filthiness, verse 4. Put away filthiness. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. So the, the first one in verse 4, there shouldn't be any obscenity or filthiness. Paul was referring to what we allow in our minds, what we allow our minds to focus on. The Bible says to guard your heart. The Bible says to guard your mind. Those who walk in darkness in their mind will eventually walk in darkness in their life. Guard your mind, guard your heart, put away filthiness. And then he said put away silly talk or foolish talking. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk. It's an interesting Greek word here. It's morologica. Morologica. Even though you don't perhaps know Greek, you probably know what word comes from this word. Morologica. What, what kind of English word? You moron. You're a moron, Paul says. If you're putting up with, if you're using foolish talking, silly talking, saying things that, that are not productive or helpful but are harmful, saying things that may be, listen, listen carefully, saying things that have a sexual bend to them, saying things in jest that, that are just a little bit flirtatious with the wrong person, saying those things that are, that are just out of place for God's holy people. In fact, he says in verse 4 again, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or what's that next phrase? Coarse joking. It's talking about dirty jokes. Put away dirty jokes. I read this story. This true story. I don't remember the names, but it's a true story. In fact, I read it just this morning in my quiet time. It was um, apparently back some time ago. There was a group of ladies and men gathering at a house and the ladies went out to do something, I don't know, to get something, prepare something, I don't know, but they left the room. When they left the room, one of the men turned to the other men and he says, now that the ladies are gone, i got to tell you something. And, and he started to tell this dirty joke. And one of the men had enough courage to say, sir, the ladies are not present, but the Holy Spirit still is. And the guy got instantly convicted. He said, brother, I received that in the way that you gave it. I confess and I ask for your forgiveness. The Holy Spirit is always there, isn't He? Paul says there shouldn't be even a hint. There shouldn't be even a little bit. There shouldn't be even a little bit of dirty jokes. Look how he describes it in verse 4. He says, which are out of place. Out of place for the Christian. A person who is walking in the light will not base his behavior on what others are doing, 
a person who is walking in the light will try to guard his mouth, his mind, and his body to make sure he's walking, living, thinking in holy manner. Will we do that perfectly? No. But that ought to be our goal. All right. Let me stop right here before we get, go a little further and ask you if you have any questions. I, check the time. Oh, we're in good shape. You got any questions about what we've read so far, what we've studied so far? Good question. Yes. I think he is predominantly talking to men. And this is a, this is a guess on my part. Other than the, the sacred prostitutes, men were the only ones in the temple. Yeah. All right. Any other questions? What verse did we leave, out, leave off on here? Where are we? Five? Okay, verse 5. For of this you can be sure. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Paul is simply saying in this verse, let me tell you something. If you're continually living in darkness, you're not a child of light. Live like children of God. Live like children of light. Then he goes on to say, verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Don't, don't let somebody with a slick tongue talk you into things saying that it's okay and it won't matter. Therefore, do not be partners with them. It's amazing sometimes how people want you to partner with them. And be involved in what they're involved in. If they can get you involved in it, they'll feel better about themselves. They can bring you down, they'll feel better about them being down. Paul says, don't be partners with them. And here's why, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. This is the reason I said many of Paul's converts, remember, remember where Ephesus was and what Ephesus was like. And many of Paul's converts were heathen, who grew up in that atmosphere, who grew up thinking that all of this sexual stuff was okay. These were Paul's converts who grew up living in a certain way, believing there's no boundaries and there's no problem and there's no such thing as immorality. Paul says, verse 8, For you were once darkness. You once lived in that. But now, now you're a light in the Lord. By the way, let me stop there. Isn't it good that God can change us? Isn't it good that what you once were, you don't have to be anymore? What you once were involved in, you don't have to be involved in now. Who you used to be is not who you are now. I love that. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Because of that, he says, live as children of light. It would be a good goal for you this week. Live as children of light. Verse 9, For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. You know what Paul was saying with that phrase? 
Stop living in a way just trying to please yourself. Find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases Him and mimic that. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. It's shameful to even think about, to even mention what they were living in. Well, listen, for sake of time, let me run on over to verse 15, the third point on your notes there. The first one is to is live how? Help me with, make sure we got the blanks filled in. Live a life of love. And then the second one is live like children of light. If we're going to live like children of light, there are things we have to put out of our lives and make sure that we're mimicking God. And then the third one is this, live wisely. Live wisely. We're all living our lives in one of two ways, by the way. We're all living our lives either wisely or foolishly. You're either making your life count or you aren't. Paul says in verse 15, Be very careful then how you live, not as an unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Notice in verse 15, uh, the idea, he says, be very careful. And again, when I read my Bible, I I try to make sure I notice the words that are there. He could have written, be careful. Yeah, you say that to your kids all the time, don't you? Be careful. If if you've got any teenagers that are driving, when they leave, I guarantee you, you're telling them, be careful. If you've got any any little boys that are out there playing, you know know he's going to break his neck, and so you tell him, be careful. But sometimes you have to tell them, be very careful. Right? Now listen, there's a lot of traffic out there. You be very careful on that bicycle. It's just not enough to be careful. You've got to be very careful because of the traffic. When you get in that car and you get on, on 85, you turn off, the, don't you even touch that radio. Don't even think about that cell phone. You be very careful. When you're on Interstate 85, right? Are you with me? Paul says, Be very careful then how you live. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I cannot describe to you how much heartache I have seen over 28 years of pastoring because people were careless in the way they lived. I can't tell you the number of times I have dealt with families and individuals who have heartache and scars and just their lives are just in shambles because they were careless in the way they lived. My daughter went to a funeral today. A young man about her age took a bunch of pills and died. Be very careful how you live. Be very careful. We live in an age where sin is so prevalent, so easily accessible. Be very careful how you live. Look at the word 
Be very careful then how you live. Not as wise, but as un, or not as unwise, but as wise. Have you ever seen one of these? Have you ever seen these guys? Uh, the type, what's it called? Tightrope walkers. You know, you know the, there's this one guy. What's the name of the guy who walks across uh, the the uh, Niagara Falls? And he's done a lot of things like that. He walked across the Grand Canyon not long ago. Walenza or Walenza, Walenzia or something like that. The Great Walenzia, something like that. If you ever watched, how many saw him walk, walk across the Grand Canyon? Here's the way he did it. In case you didn't see it, here's the way he did it. <laughs> Boy, it sure is nice out here. That's not the way he did it, is it? You know how he did it? Of course, he had that pole in his hand. But he, if you watched him, every step he was taking, he was focused on that step. And the next step. And the next step. And that's the word picture that Paul uses here. When he says, be very careful how you live. Step by step by step. Be on your guard. Make the most of every opportunity. And look why. Look what he says. Making the most, verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Put this on your notes. Redeem the time. Redeem the time. The word redeem means to buy it out or to get all you can out of it. It's, it's the same word picture as, I, I love oranges. Now, you know there's lots of things I don't like, but one thing I do like is oranges. And one of the things that, that I, I used to do is... is put a hole in that orange and just squeeze that orange and squeeze that orange and squeeze get all I can out of it. Anybody like oranges that way? And then once you get it all, you just kind of rip it open and it, boy, it's good, isn't it? Let's go to Ingalls after church tonight. <laughs> Starting to want some oranges. That's the word redeem. Whatever you do, make it count. Whatever you do, squeeze the most out of it. Whatever you do, you're only here for a limited amount of time, so whatever you do, squeeze the most out of it for God. The older I get, the more I realize how wise that advice is. We've got all kinds of ages here tonight. Some young, some not so young. You don't know how many days you got left. I don't know how many days I've got left. But I do know this. I want to redeem the time I have. I want to make the most of the time that I have. And he says, here's why. Now, now I want you to help me teach this because I'm not sure that I've got an answer. Somebody else may have an answer. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Can you help me understand that? What do you think Paul had in mind when he said, because the days are evil? Redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. What do you think he meant by that? All right, that's good. Absolutely. What else? 
Satan is a, like a roaring lion seeking to devour all that he can. So make the most of, of the time because the days are evil. What else? Alright? Talk, talking about witnessing? Trying to win as many as you can so long while you're here? Good. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Say that again. Yeah? If you're busy in the Lord, you're not likely to be distracted. Which leads us very good into verse 17. Do God's will. If you put filling in the notes, do God's will. He says, therefore, notice the therefore. Because the days are evil, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Seek to know and do God's will for your life. Therefore, seek to know and do God's will for your life. It is foolish indeed to go through life day after day without giving thought to what God's will is for your life. It is foolish to let, to let life pass you by if you're a child of God without seeking to know and to do the will of God for your life. Uh, Right now, I've got a, my prayer partners praying for me, uh, in, in particular about a decision that I have to make, and an opportunity that is uh, perhaps there, and, and a decision that I have to make. And, and I've asked them to pray for me, and pray with me, and, and it's simply because it goes back to this Scripture. I want to know, and I want to do God's will. I want to make sure that I'm redeeming the time. I want to give all I can give, so long as I can give it, because one day, the old battery is going to wear out. One day, I'm not going to have that opportunity anymore. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You might want to, under, you might want to underline the Lord's will. It's not your will. Look, folks, if you're, if you're living for your will, you're missing so much. If it's just your will you're striving to accomplish, you're shooting way too low, aren't you? Way too low. So he says this, and with this I close. Let me read it to you again. Therefore, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then next time, we're going to get into this a little bit more. I'm just going to read it now. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. I'm going to let Dave preach this. I'm going to let Dave... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Maybe we can tag team on that one. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Would you thank Him right now for whatever's on your heart? Maybe you want to thank Him that you are a child of the light. He brought you out of darkness. Maybe you can thank Him tonight because 
He has shown you His will for your life. You've got a purpose. You've got something you're living for. You can thank Him for that. I know you can thank Him for this. If you know Christ is your Savior, you can thank Him that He is your Heavenly Father. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. That's how, that's how Paul began this. Father, I pray that You will help us this week. Remind us to imitate You rather than those around us. To imitate the God who is light, rather than to imitate those who walk in darkness. May we mimic our Heavenly Father. And may we bring glory to His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.